Hey, I'm Brian, minister here at Harmony Christian Church. Thanks for clicking on this video and hope that this video is a blessing to you and whoever you might be watching uh, it with together today. Uh, just want to let you know, if you want to find out more about us, you can go to harmonychurch.tv and there you can uh, catch up on some of the past messages that are there. You can also take a look at, uh, at giving to the church if you'd like to do that. You can do a one-time gift or recurring giving. Uh, maybe you'd like to mail us uh, some kind of a donation. Uh, that would be great if you would choose to do that. Uh, you can send it to 7100 South Choctaw Road, Choctaw, Oklahoma, 73020. You can also give us a call at 405-391-7310. You can give us, give us a message and let us know if there's anything we could be praying about. Maybe you want to follow us on Facebook. If you'd like to do that, you can go to at Choctaw HCC and find us there as well. And we hope that this video is a blessing to you and to your family. And again, thanks for watching. On August the 8th, 2011, just before sunrise, about, about two car loads of white teenagers hit the streets of Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, somewhere during the middle of the night, there was a lot of drinking that was involved, and somehow they had discovered that their purpose and meaning now needed to go find a black person and rough them up pretty good. And they drove around for a little while, and then eventually they found their victim. He was walking through a, a motel in parking lot. He was headed for his car, and his name was James Craig. James Craig was a 49-year-old auto worker and just walking across the parking lot when these guys descended upon him. They roughed him up pretty good. They beat him up. They took his stuff and robbed him. And then one guy, an 18-year-old, by the name of Daryl Debson, he decided to go back to his Ford F-150 Got in, the, got in the truck, turned it on, and ran James Craig down in the middle of the parking lot. Now, I, I guess we could say, well, that's what happens when teenagers drink too much alcohol and they do dumb, stupid, horrific things. Maybe we could just chalk it up all to that. But they just weren't looking for any old people. They had a specific target in mind. And, and it was a predetermined kind of a thing. They didn't sit around and take a vote. They didn't discuss this beforehand. Like, like they just knew, they just knew that a black person's life just wasn't as valuable as theirs. They were, that's just how it was. You know, it sort of makes the, it sort of like begs the question, like, just what is it about somebody? I mean, regardless of, you know, race or economics or social statuses and stuff, just what is it about another person that would make them want to shed the blood of another human being? Just want to do that. And, you know, and, and for whatever theories and questions that, that we might raise about that and, and question about that, to try to answer the question of just what is this corrosive thing that's happening in the hearts of human beings, whatever we might discover about that, it sort of seems to just kind of come down to just good old-fashioned superiority. Superiority. Thinking that you are better than they are. And that's what those teenagers thought. They thought, we're just better than you are. It was an issue then, it's an issue now, and it was an issue for the early church. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing the book of Romans, is dealing with this issue that's been going on for quite a while, and he's trying to address it in the book of Romans because for generations and generations, the, the Jewish people have been told, like, hey, look, 
You are my chosen people. And if you just follow the rules, these, these rules of like what we would call like the works of Torah, if, if you just follow these things, then, then, you're, then it makes you my people. So they thought that they were superior. They thought that they were better than other people, not because they enslaved other people, not because of they had some wonderful economic system. It was just they were God's chosen people. And they were God's chosen people because they were following these, these works of Torah and doing it in a certain way because, after all, God had chosen them and through them to, to deal with all the evil and the sin in the world because of these, these works of Torah. And so when, so when Paul starts the book of Romans, he's, he starts off with something quite interesting. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says this, "...for I am not ashamed of the gospel." For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, if you were one of the original hearers of this, if you're sitting in the church in Rome and you're Jewish and you hear, and you hear this being read to you, you'd be appalled. You'd be offended. You'd be shocked. Like, this is, this is some scandalous stuff, is what you're saying. Because, hey, you know what? We've kept up our end of the bargain, We've been following these works of Torah. You know, like you know, guys are getting circumcised and we're watching the food that you're supposed to eat and the food you're not supposed to eat. And we're, we're following all these other rules. Like we're holding up like our end of the bargain here. Like, like we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. So how, so how dare you say that? Because if I'm going to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, then what you're saying is, is I'm no better than a Gentile. That's not good news for me. See, the works of Torah didn't just make you different, and they didn't just make you better. They made you superior. Accepting Jesus meant saying that you weren't any better than anybody else. And that's what Paul means when he says, I'm not ashamed. What he means is he is not ashamed of the God who created it all who is now bringing about his eternal plan to save all nations. He's not ashamed of that. But that's usually not how we Christians kind of take that passage. The, the way we've kind of been taught and trained to, to hear this not ashamed passage is, what that means is that I need to give some sort of public display of my faith. So I need to go get like a, a Christian t-shirt so I can wear that around so people know that I'm a Christian. Or, or maybe we might imagine maybe a teenager uh, taking a Bible to their public school and by taking the Bible to the public school maybe they might face some sort of ridicule for that. And so because of that they're, they're not ashamed of the gospel. But that's not what Paul is, is really talking about there like really at all. When Paul is talking about I'm not ashamed what, he was, what he's talking about is is He's trying to get to the condition of the human heart. The condition of the human heart that feels that it is superior to other human beings. Thinks it's superior to other human beings. The scandalous news is that God is working out His salvation and reconciliation of all people. And that's just not something that some are comfortable with hearing. You know, supremacy rips at all kinds of things. Thinking you're superior, it can, it can tear at marriages. It can tear at relationships between parents and children. It can tear apart things in a, at where you work. It can tear apart a city or even a nation. 
thinking that you're superior to other people. And, and Paul, one of the things that Paul does is he wants to confront these Jews that believe that their Bible wants to tell them that they're better than everybody else. Paul wants to say, you have no justification whatsoever to feel that you're justified. See, Israel was infected with sin. And sin is a virus that, for which there is no human cure whatsoever. The darkness that is in the human heart, the sin that is there, infects everyone. It is a universal problem. And, and the sin that infects us, the darkness that is in our hearts, sometimes it's the stuff that we sort of glory in, and sometimes it's the stuff that we look in other people and go, ah, see, I see, they, look at what they do and the sins that they do. And so as you read through the rest of Romans chapter 1, one of the things that Paul lists off is he will go down like a bit of a list of the sins that we can either prone maybe to doing or even sins that we kind of do like all the time. And so some of his list includes things like this. He says uh, injustice, wickedness, greed, envy, murder, enmity, deceit, cunning, arrogance, self-importance, boasting, disobedience to parents, shameful sexual acts, and many others. Paul's point is that God's people have failed to be God's people. And in failing to be God's people, there's a problem. Like, there's a really big problem. Because God has made a covenant with his people, and God has kept his end of the covenant, but the people haven't. And that's created an issue. Uh, scholar N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says, If the covenant was put in place to deal with the evil in the world, then the failure of the covenant people to be, to be the light in the world means that the covenant itself seems to be under threat. So just what is God supposed to do about that? What is God supposed to do with this group of people that won't follow through with the things that God has told them to do? Well, God's answer wasn't to wait until the end of time or wait until the end of all things. He didn't do that. God's answer wasn't, well, let me send you a Savior that will raise up an army and you can kick the Romans out and finally you can establish a king like, like good old King David and the, and the glory days will come back. He, he didn't do that. God did what he's been doing all along, which is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, he's summoning all people. He's reconciling all nations. And that's foolishness. That is absolute foolishness to the culture and to the world that we live in. Because our cultural world is all about domination. It's all about push people to the sides. But that's not what Jesus has to say. And so Paul continues his argument about here's what's going on in Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 17, he says this, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you're instructed from the law, and you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law embodiment of knowledge and truth, then who teaches others? Do you, or do you just teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? 
You who, are, who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. In other words, what Paul is saying is this. You're walking around talking this, talking this game about all these laws and rules, these works of Torah that you do, and yet you're really not doing really any of it. You, you think that you're like leading these blind people towards the truth because you think you're the embodiment of this truth, and yet you're not even living out this truth in, in the way you do life. And because of all that, the Gentiles are looking at you and going, man, we don't even know what to think of God or any of this. Because they felt superior. When I was in college, um, my roommate, John, uh, his dad, operated a, a mission downtown Atlanta, Georgia, called Jesus Place. It's still there, and now John is the director of it, and he does this incredible job every Sunday of ministering to the homeless people that come his way. But there were a lot of Saturdays that, that uh, John and I would go down to the Jesus Place Mission, uh, which uh, is hosted out of this big, uh, out of this church that was built many, many years ago. And, well, anyway, we would go down to the basement of this church, and there were all these donations that other people would bring by, uh, clothing or, or hygiene products like soap and toothpaste and toothbrushes. And we would organize all this stuff and get it ready for Sunday. We would even make a little food bag uh, to get ready for Sunday morning. And then Sunday morning when we arrived, we would get a few things set up, and then there was usually a crowd of homeless guys that would gather at the front of the church there waiting for us to open the doors and let them in. And once we let them in, it was like a normal, regular church service. There was a time for Bible study, and then after that, there was like a worship service. And so we would sing hymns, and there was prayer, there was a time of communion, there was a message from the Bible. Uh, sometimes some of the guys would get baptized that were there. It was really kind of a wonderful thing to watch every Sunday. But one particular Sunday, I went to go open the doors uh, to let all the guys in. You know, they were standing around outside, and you could hear on the other side of the door there was some kind of a commotion on the other side. Like there was, there was something kind of going on. Something wasn't quite right outside. And so when you opened the doors, there was this argument that was going on. Because right across the street from the church, there was, this, there was a home because the church is situated in a neighborhood. And so there was this home that was right across the street. And these homeowners and a few of the homeless guys were having this really heated argument. The police were even called. They even showed up to try to figure out what was going on and sort through things. Eventually things just kind of calmed down. And we went through that Sunday like, like it was a normal, regular Sunday. We kind of got all things done. But, but what we found out was this. Directly across the street from the church lived this, lived this gay couple. And they did not like the fact that these homeless guys, while waiting for us to open the doors on Sunday, were getting onto their property. They didn't like it. And that began this really heated, kind of awful conversation. Well, the very next Sunday when we showed up, along the property line of where this couple lived, they had got a garden hose and they poked it full of holes, turned the water on, and created like a little bit of a sprinkler, a little bit of a wet mess, so that hopefully the homeless guys wouldn't get anywhere on their property because it was all covered with water. And when I think about that situation, like, that's just kind of messed up, like all the way around messed up. Because homeless people and homosexuals in our society are marginalized people you would think that there would be maybe some sort of solidarity between those groups. But instead, this couple thought that they were superior to, home, to homeless people. 
And in a lot of ways, sometimes we Christians think that we're superior to both of those groups. Isn't that weird? Isn't that odd? Like, we think we're superior because, hey, like we read the Bible, we got baptized, you know, we go to church, we, we got our Christian t-shirts and our Christian friends, and we do our Christian things, which basically means I'm a good person. And because I'm a good person, it, I'm kind of better than you. In fact, not I'm just kind of better than you. Like, yeah, I am better than you. Like, I'm better. And that kind of thinking, that merit-based kind of salvation, is what Paul has been trying to address. You're bringing that into the church, and that's not a good thing. Paul brings us up yet again in Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 27. Paul says this, So is there any place left for boasting? No. It's been shut out completely. And how? By what sort of law? The law of works, perhaps? No. By the law of faith. We hold that people are justified, that is, made right with God through faith, which has nothing to do with the deeds of law that it prescribes. You know, if you were to thumb back through and just kind of look at the birth story of Jesus, let's just kind of go back like to the book of Matthew, maybe back to the book of Luke, and you can kind of thumb back through there and look, just look at the people that were there when Jesus first arrived. They were all the people that weren't supposed to be there. And yet they were there. In other words, God was signaling from the start that all the places where we have drawn the lines to say, I'm better than you, God was working outside of those lines already from the start. And if Hollywood or if AM talk radio was in charge of picking the cast members for when Jesus first arrived on the scene, we would have never got what we get from the Gospels. We would have never got those people to show up. In other words, when Jesus is present, the entire world comes together. And it doesn't matter where you are, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter who your mama and them were, it doesn't matter what the color of your skin is, it doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank account, it doesn't matter about what your gender is or your demographics. And boasting and superiority have no place and are never equal to Christ-likeness. In fact, Paul might put it like this. If you're a little uneasy about that, about this idea that maybe you might be on equal footing with those people that you look at and go, I think I'm a little bit better than them. If that's making you uneasy for all the people in those groups that you hate and dislike and distrust, what Paul would have to say about that is this. What you are actually feeling is ashamed of the gospel. God bless you.